My question today is in the pursuit of happiness, just what is happiness? It's probably the most important subject or issue in anybody's life in any country, anywhere around the world. People live to be happy. People are um, willing to labor and do things that are not necessarily pleasant, that they don't want it to, in hopes of becoming happy. Happiness is a worthy pursuit, and God has made us to be a happy people. He has created us to connect with His joy and to be happy. So this morning, I want to talk about the pursuit of happiness, and I want to begin by asking the question, and you can go ahead and just open the floodgates of your mind. If you were asked, being interviewed, what is happiness, what would you say? And as you're thinking about your definition of happiness, let me share with you that <clears throat> if you could live your life by a proper definition of happiness, you could define your entire life and build a border around it. And I would have to say that probably most people in this world don't ever really even achieve that. To set a border around their life and identify themselves and who they are, what their life is all about. A proper definition of happiness sets that, that border. And think of life as a puzzle of a thousand pieces, if you will. And the first thing that you need to do to find out what that puzzle is and to see the big picture is you've got to go in and separate out all the edge pieces and construct a border. And then you start filling in the interior. Then you start seeing what the puzzle's all about. But if you just start trying to find pieces that fit together, any old place they might happen to be, you'll probably be dead before the puzzle is put together. And so if you want to have a life with a border, with definition, find the definition, the right definition of happiness, and set that border in your life. Let's take a look for a moment at how the world defines happiness. About 20 years ago, there was a major, uh, major, major change in the world of psychology. I never really talk much about psychology. Uh, it's probably a good thing. But um, a new form or development of psychology was introduced called positive psychology. Google it sometimes. It's a really fascinating study. And um, at that time, 20 years ago, the new, newly elected president of uh, the American Psychological Association, I think that's what it is, APA, APA um, had gotten this revelation, best way I could put it, using religious or spiritual terms, this, this insight, this revelation, that the whole world of psychology needed to be changed. And it needed to go, um, it needed to make a little course correction from approaching the science of psychology by identifying um, problems in people to finding out what makes a full, a fluid, a happy life and promote those things. And I read it. I thought, well, that's a great idea, but I live in the world of God's word and, and spirituality, you know. So I, I accept and we accept the idea that there are absolutes in life. And... Um, that there is a God and that He is the source of our happiness. However, the researchers over the past 20 years have been doing intense study uh, of people all over the world to find out what makes them happy. And I thought it was pretty fascinating what they came up with. 
the definition or what defines uh, psychology, I think the, the, the best and most comprehensive definition that I found goes like this. And see if you don't to some uh, degree uh, agree with this. The experience of joy, contentment, or positive well-being combined with a sense that one's life is good, meaningful, and worthwhile. I thought I'd buy that. I think that's, uh, I think that's a fair analysis. The experience of joy, contentment, or positive well-being combined with a sense that one's life is good, meaningful, and worthwhile. It sounds like, uh, in a way, what, what Christians are striving for, except that Jesus is not in there as the facilitator, the purpose, and the reason. But all the rest of it is, is pretty fair. But when you look at it from the world's standpoint, in short, what that definition essentially says is that happiness is emotions resulting from conditions. Wouldn't you agree? For most of us, our happiness pivots on our emotions responding to conditions, both external conditions and internal conditions. And uh, so the researchers categorized the things that make people happy into three basic groupings. I thought they were fair also, so I'm going to go with it and share it with you this morning. Here's what they came up with. Uh, these are the the three things that influence, the three groups that influence happiness. The first is genetics. We may not like to admit that our genetic disposition has an impact on our happiness, but you'd be surprised at what uh, at least the researchers found. And you might even be more surprised to find out what the Bible says about that. The second, besides genetics, is actions and thoughts. Your actions and your thoughts contribute to your happiness. The third, of course, external circumstances. I lost my job, and darn it, that's made me so angry. That's made me so hopeless. She cut me off on the road, and so-and-so was rude to me, and they made me crazy. Have you ever heard somebody say, ooh, they just make me crazy. External circumstances. Now, I'm going to give you the percentages, the way this pie chart breaks out, and you're going to be surprised because most of you probably think external circumstances are the major, the largest percentage contributing to happiness. Now, these are clinical research. These are results of clinical research. They're not the Bible, but what that means is that they could be flawed, uh, the, the deciphering of the data and everything could, could have been, they could have made some mistakes in arranging it. But for the most part, it's an unbiased uh, collection of data observing people and what makes them happy, interviewing them and watching them in all kinds of different settings and places around the world. So you have to know that there's a, a kind of an unbiased approach to this. So I wouldn't dismiss this out of hand, but here we go having having uh, given you that disclaimer. Genetics, 50%. Genetics, 50%. Now, some people, I absolutely believe that. But um, <laughs> at any rate, uh, 
The second is thoughts and actions. 40%. 40% of how you think and behave. Notice pastors behind the sacred desk with his finger going, behave. <laughs> so 40% of what makes you happy is derived from how you think and how you behave. Now, you're not, you're not going to like this, but that leaves how much? Anybody do the math? 10% of happiness is actually produced or affected by external circumstances. And yet, if you think about it, look at how sin and how Satan has so taken a hold of our lives. We, in our mind, get up every day and we push forward to the goals that we have set before us. And, and some of us just simply do what we are allowed to do. We, we have so few choices and options. However, most of us in the back of our mind have this thought that out there, if things could get easier, if things could lighten up, if my schedule would open up a bit so I could have more time for the family, if, uh, if I just had a little bit more money, I'm not wanting to be extravagant or rich. I just need to get this pressure off my back so I can do this for my family or, or start that business that I've wanted to start. All noble goals, nothing intrinsically sinful about any of them. They're not sinful goals or interests but they are external and they only produce 10% of what actually determines. I was going to say makes people happy. I like the word determines. Determines. What do you allow to determine your happiness? I'm going to now give you another definition of happiness. This is the greatest definition and recipe, I think it's more than a definition, I think it's a recipe. But this is the greatest definition for happiness that I have ever heard. You ready for it? Okay, here it goes. This individual speaking for themselves. This was their definition of happiness for themselves. Knowing that I have the ability to control myself in every situation and can ask the Lord for help, and he will answer. When I heard that, it just blew my mind. Um, knowing that I have the ability to control myself in any situation. Stop for a moment. That means that no matter what or who is doing whatever around me, I have the ability to hold myself together. And I have the ability to ask the Lord for help and know that he will answer. To me, I thought now there is a definition for happiness that really ought to be a recipe for happiness. That definition came from Kathy Champlin. And that's why I'm married to a happy woman. Um, you know, she and I have been married, how many years, Kathy? So we've lost track. It's, a, it's 1972, what is that? Is that 47? 
years, I think, if I'm doing the math correctly. It's a long time. Uh, it's a long time to make a lot of mistakes. We've made a lot of mistakes, particularly when we're young, because both of us were alpha personalities. I can tell you this, just because you probably need a little context for understanding, because we're going to talk about this a little bit. But um, ours was not a marriage that was destined to be trouble-free. <laughs> we were 18 years old when we got married. So we were a little bit young, but both of us had had it with our youth, and we were ready to start our adult life. We couldn't get at life and get control of life quick enough. You know, some people, they just can't stop playing. They just can't stop being kids. They dread having to grow up and take responsibilities. Both of us couldn't wait to be responsible for our own lives, but we were 18 years old. And she was um, a lot more mature than I was. I was fun, she was mature. And I think that kind of describes the dynamic in our, in our marriage. And so you could see how fun and mature, you know, might have some need to work, work things out as they go through life. And we certainly did. But I'll, I'll say this. One of the things that really saved us from having the kind of disastrous breakups that a lot of couples have, and one of the reasons why I can say now after 47 years, our marriage became progressively stronger and better as the years went by. I have the best marriage at 47 years um, that I've had at any time in my life. Um, I have finally gotten to the place where no matter what my wife does, I absolutely love her and adore her. I would uh, lay my life down for her and do anything for her. Now, I said those things at an altar 47 years ago. Um, but uh, I don't think we got very far into the honeymoon um, before she did something that upset my apple cart. And I don't know that I would have laid my life down or actually felt great feelings of love. In fact, on a wedding night, I was laying on the bed down on Clearwater Beach 47 years ago on the eighth floor of the Hilton, and the lights were out. It had been a long day. It was our wedding night, and I was staring, and the moon, full moon, was washing through the window. And so my wife saw these two big white saucers where my eyes are, and I was just riveted at the ceiling. And she said, honey, is something wrong? And without moving an eye, just staring, transfixed, I said, I think I made a mistake. Good thing we didn't have any guns around <laughs> at that moment. But I told you that I was fun, but immature. Not, it, it doesn't matter that I felt that way, but I didn't have enough brains to not say it. So it, it took me the better part of the night to get her out of the bathroom because she bolted into the bathroom, locked the door. Honey, I, I went nuts. I went crazy. I don't know what I was talking about. Um, come out. I'm sorry. And oh, she was sobbing in the bathroom. And I tell you, after all these years, I still 
carry a weight of guilt in my heart for saying that. I feel bad. I could probably conjure up a tear thinking about doing that to that sweet girl. And I, if any man or any woman for that matter has ever said, oh, if I could find the Wayback Machine and go back in time, wow, would I be, oh, if I could have an opportunity. We all do that. Hopefully, I'm sharing this message with you this morning, that hopefully you won't lie upon your deathbed if you have the privilege of having some conscious waking moments before you pass away and marinate in regret. We don't want to do that. We want to we be ready to meet the Lord having said, you know, my life wasn't perfect, but I was happy. You know, I wasn't happy with the circumstances all the time, but the Lord brought me through life happy, and that's the goal, isn't it? Let me share with you, um, and I shared that about us and our marriage, and you could just imagine, two years later, children begin to show up, and so as our family begin to develop, I'm pastoring full-time in a strange land uh, up in, uh, we're, we're from Clearwater, Florida, and there we are 1,400 miles away in the frozen north of Connecticut, pastoring for 15 years in an odd place. So there was a big recipe with me seven days a week at the church, ministering to everybody else, attending to everything else, and at the same time, having children and, and raising a family. So um, we had our opportunities to disagree, certainly. But before I get into all that, let me give you three verses of Scripture, and uh, two of them out of Psalms, uh, one out of Psalms, two out of Proverbs, that talk about happiness. I just picked these verses. They're pretty well-known because... They probably are some of the best verses of the Bible that are going to give you a window into what God thinks happiness is. Here we go. Psalm 146, verse 5. Happy is he who has God, the God of Jacob, for his help, whose hope is in the Lord God. That's a happy person. And then Proverbs Chapter 3, verses 13 to 14. Happy is the one who finds wisdom and the one who obtains understanding. For her benefit is more profitable than silver. Her gain is better than gold. She is like a tree of life to those who obtain her and everyone who grasps hold of her will be happy. Wow. Wisdom. Praise God. I think that probably applies to that 40% of our actions and our words. Uh, I know that I could have benefited taking hold of, of her, that tree of wisdom, at different times in my life. I would not have entered into unhappiness. Proverbs 29, verse 18, the other verse I want to share with you is, what, now you're going to like this, all you spiritual disciples, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, relinquish control, but happy is he who keeps the law, or in our case, keeps the gospel. So with Kathy's definition of happiness, knowing that I can control myself, in any situation, and ask the Lord for help, and he will answer. 
is how I become happy. And I, I will testify this morning, that is exactly how she lives her life. That is definitely not a hypocritical statement or a faith statement. That is a life statement. That is a confession. Now, with that confession in mind, or excuse me, with that definition of happiness in mind, um, I'd like to just share a couple points with you. Just think about them. Think about how they mesh with that definition. Number one, Satan cannot defeat a person who's governed by this happiness. The ability to control myself in any situation and knowing that I can call on God for help and he will answer. A person who is governed by that happiness has definitely got the puzzle pretty well put together. They've definitely got the border. They've got all the pieces and they're starting to fill in the interior of their life and flush out their life. Satan cannot defeat a person like that. He cannot breach that perimeter. He cannot kick his way into their life no matter what he does to whoever around her, around that person, or in those circumstances. He cannot take control of that person's life and penetrate them because he cannot penetrate their self-control. I cannot emphasize enough I want to wed together the concept of happiness and self-control. You must understand, we don't live in a time or even in the emerging culture of our day that hands out prizes for self-control. We live in a culture today that encourages people to cast self-control away and to just let it all out. Just be what you are. Go with what you're feeling. And I just praise God that you didn't identify as an unsaved person this morning and you made it out to the house of God. Praise the Lord. Um, so, but people identify with whatever they feel like. Today, I'm a cuckoo bird. And as silly, of course, as, as that sounds, the principle, however, is there. That where there is no prophetic vision, the people... King James says they perish, but it's more specific than that. They perish because they cast off restraint and their enemies just waltz in and pick them off. So Satan cannot defeat a person governed by this happiness because he cannot penetrate their self-control. If the devil can't get through your self-control, he can't get at your goods. You know, I want to expand that to couples and to relationships. Satan cannot defeat a relationship governed by this happiness unless he can get them to make each other responsible for each other's happiness. And I want to talk about that for a few minutes. If you make somebody responsible for your happiness, you give up that percentage of your ability to control yourself. Anything... And Paul said this in 1 Corinthians, whatever you give yourself to, slaves you are to perform for or to serve. Our lives, redeemed through the blood of the Lamb, are owed to Jesus Christ. And it's because he is not only worthy, paid the price, but he's the great physician. He's the lover of our soul. He knows us. He's the only one who truly can treat us well. So why we insist as we go through life on opening that exclusive ownership up
to other people, either that we're married to or that we have brought into the world as our children, and we set all of our hopes upon them, and we set all of our happiness upon them. Or that business, or that venture in life, or those hobbies, or those pursuits, or any of the things in life that we open up and give over control of our happiness to, to that extent, we are surrendering our self-control. And so think about a relationship, a relationship governed by this happiness. That relationship can go through struggles, can clash, and stay happy the whole time. It all depends on what your definition of happiness is. I would say to you, based on Kathy's definition, which I'm going to put the preposition in front of, and I'm going to call it the definition. <laughs> so the definition of happiness, I'm just for myself, I'm adopting it as the definition. Um, based on that definition of happiness, you can please other people, but you can't make them happy. Think about it for a moment. Really, we are not given the assignment when we covenant with one another at the marriage altar of making that spouse happy. That's not what you've agreed to do, even though those words are sewn in there. But purely from a biblical, from a scriptural standpoint, we pledge, we pledge to do our best to please others, but that's not the same as making them happy. In other words, we don't want to harm, we don't want to hurt, we don't want to impede, but I shouldn't be the one who makes you happy. That belongs to God, and that role belongs to God. I'll never forget, I think it took me about a year or two to actually get over it, Many years ago, while we were still in Connecticut, while we were going through our struggles, raising our children and everything, Kathy said to me, she said, I don't look to you for my happiness. I don't depend on you for my happiness. Oh. I thought, what? What? What I heard was, I don't expect you to please me. I don't expect you to ever do anything. I'm not ever going to be happy with anything you do. But that wasn't what she was saying. But that, that's what we hear. Right? I thought, oh, she's just finished with me. Um, and she's just going to go to God. And I tell you, I've never been jealous of Jesus. But I thought, oh, well then Jesus can make her happy. And, but I realized it took me time because I really did have an imbalanced perspective on marriage. I didn't really understand what the two becoming one actually meant. It is a working covenant. It is a working relationship. You can be a blessing, but you cannot be God to anybody, especially the person you're married to. And if you really want to do the best for them, 
help the both of you come to a place where you can enjoy life. Sort this out today. When you leave this church, set up a time to have a conversation. When you're ready and sort it out, you and I cannot be God for each other. We cannot be responsible to make each other happy. That has to come from the Lord. And so you can see why so many marriages end up in divorce. There is the formula right there. That is what happens. People don't fall out of love. They're beaten out of love because, and they lose their self-control because they expect the happiness they felt when they walked down the aisle and they married and became one to be the happiness that brings them through every day and brings them through their life. However, having said that, Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 14, as he was departing, I am giving you my peace. I don't give you the kind of peace the world gives. How is Jesus' peace different than the world gives? The peace the world gives is dependent upon conditions. It is dependent upon you having a blessed life and being happy because you're having a, a blessed life. But the Christian that lives under terrible conditions, conditions you and I literally pray that we don't ever have to live under, um, are they doomed to never be happy? Is there happiness for them? I think of Paul and Silas chained to the prison wall of Philippi at midnight. Um, at any rate, here's, here's what happened with Kathy and I in those years. And I just use us as a model since it was these kinds of things that we went through that actually developed that definition within her that I'm bringing to you today. In our early years, when Kathy and I would fall out of harmony over a dispute, enough said. And my explanations didn't resolve the issue and restore the peace. I would chase her from room to room. But you don't understand. Let, let me explain. Let me try from a different angle. You, then that just dissolves into, you're not listening. And then it's like the cartoon, Pepe Le Pew. He's found that cat. And he, he thinks it's a skunk, and she's doing everything to get away from him. She just wanted to get me off from around her neck. Just leave me alone. And I thought, well, we've got to come together. We have to be back in peace. We want to be happy. We want to be happy again, right? <laughs> leave me alone, somebody said. So I would chase her around trying to force us back into happiness. It never worked. And I eventually realized that our happiness was in the hands of the wonderful counselor. The wonderful counselor, mighty God, Prince of Peace, everlasting Father, that that's where our happiness was. And that our happiness with each other in that moment under those conditions would have to wait and be put on hold until we both individually resolved ourselves with the Lord. Amen. 
That's why the marriage covenant doesn't work without the covenant keeper. Without the one who in that covenant keeps all covenants together. And um, so I'd like to kind of, if I were to take Kathy's definition of, uh, of happiness and consolidate it, I would say happiness is a covenant with God. Amen. Happiness is a covenant with God. And think about all that you have learned about the blood covenant and, and covenant. There's things that are automatically given to us, assets and uh, favors and opportunities. Yet a co the covenant also has a working side to it that you have to discipline yourself and walk according to the terms of that covenant and exercise it. The covenant doesn't automatically exercise itself on your behalf. You have to exercise that covenant through your actions. And so happiness is a covenant with God. It's the anchor, it's anchor rather, the anchor of that is your father, your heavenly father's happiness towards you. Think about it. Why is happiness a covenant with God? Because God is happy with me. Zephaniah 3.17 says, For the Lord will rejoice over you with singing. Nobody loves us like Jesus. Nobody feels compassion and kindness and understanding towards us when we are horrible like Jesus. All you want when you're really unhappy is someone to understand. Who is more understanding than God? Happiness is a covenant with the Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. Amen? And so that's the place where you go for your happiness. Let me go back to the model, the positive psychology researchers and their model have 90% of happiness dependent upon internal conditions and only 10% on external conditions. That 90% again breaks out with genetics, 50%, actions and thoughts, 40%. That's 90%. That means, I have to tell you this morning, that means 90% of your happiness is within your control. And let's talk, let's just attack this genetics thing for a moment because boy, I'll tell you, um, how often have we said, we've certainly seen other people say, I can't help it. That's the way I am. Now, over the years, I've counseled a lot of people and I've noticed that is just the way they are. You can call it genetics, you can call it anything you want, but it's real. It is, there's deep, there are predispositions within people. And, you're, and some of those things you're not going to totally change. Some people are just loud and outgoing. Others are more reserved and hold back. Neither one of those things is sinful or wrong or bad. They just are what they are. But out of those grow the proclivities and the behaviors and the development of things that do become sinful patterns that become destructive. And so when we see behavior, propensities, depressions, fits of anger, patterns of anger forming in people's lives, 50%, at least the researchers said, 
This isn't what I'm saying, but this is what the research said. 50% of it is based on genetics. But before you say, well, that's 50% of the cause of happiness that I have nothing to do with, I can't control it, then why did you ever get saved? Why, what, is, what is your faith if not that God has given me a new nature? That those proclivities, that outcropping from my disposition can be trimmed back to a healthy level. Most of our proclivities began as just in genetic dispositions that leaned a certain way, but we didn't discipline them. And forces impinged upon our lives that helped them to grow in an unhealthy way or an unpruned way. And so you've got these wild people. Or you'll meet somebody, they seem to have it together and be normal, but then when you spend time with them, you get them alone, you find out they have this crazy hidden wild side. Where did that come from? 50% of what makes happiness is genetics. So here's my advice. Introduce your genetics to the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. You ever heard of that? Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, self-control, temperance. Against those there is no law. In other words, God has nothing to say against those. And where are those? They are in every believer. Every Christian has those nine qualities embedded in their recreated, born-again, new creation nature. They're there. You must apply discipline to mind and cultivate them. You need to bring that crazy wild hair you've got and bring it into the fruit of the Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit for help. And the first thing is, you've got to stop excusing that wild hair. You have to stop saying, that's just the way I am. Because if you say today, that's just the way I am, then that's the way you're going to be tomorrow. And every day you kick that can down the road and excuse yourself, you are denying the power of the new creation. You can be whatever God says you can be. You can be the most fantastic woman or the most fantastic man, and you can be happy but it takes discipline. Some people are on their 999th trip around the same mountain over and over again because every time they come up against it, I know I've been involved in counseling a lot of people, once you've hit that spot that they are not going to stop excusing themselves, you can't go any farther. There is no counsel that can heal, change, or turn that around. Each and every one of us must take control and responsibility for ourselves. Remember the definition. What is happiness? Knowing I can control myself in any situation. That means that if I'm with my wife and we're driving down the street, and her head whips around, and out of her mouth comes, that idiot. I know that something else is controlling her. She lets somebody else control her because of what? Now, she's not the one who turns her head and says, idiot, that's me. <laughs> and you know what? As we get older in life, it's one thing when you're young. You think you have your whole life rolled out ahead. you got plenty of time to adjust things, but if you're 
past your 30s, past your 40s, into your 50s, into your 60s, 70s, whatever, you're in a different place in life, you realize you can't spend another year, another month, another week, another day saying, I'm just going to let this continue in my life. And uh, there'll be plenty of time to work it out. Because you'll be saying goodbye to this world and hello to Jesus before you ever get around to doing anything about it. And you don't want to stand before God and say to Jesus, well, I didn't really have a happy life because all those things upset me. And my husband did this and my wife did that, and my boss and my jobs and, and all of those things. Because Jesus is going to walk up a bunch of people and put them in front of you and introduce you to some people who had it worse than you did, but led a happy life. And he's going to say, how was your life worse than this person's life? And uh, they chose to make the Lord their happiness. It's a covenant. You know, David and Goliath. On the day that David met Goliath, God didn't introduce David to Goliath. We think sometimes when we come up against a Goliath in our life, why did the Lord let me into this situation? Why did God put me here? I'm, I'm in this battle. This, this, I'm going to die in this place. Why did God let this happen? God did not introduce, listen to me, God did not introduce David to Goliath. The introduction that took place that day when they met on the battlefield went like this. David introduced Goliath to God. And that's why the outcome went down the way it did. Because David introduced Goliath to God and that's how the boys saw it. Praise the Lord. See, you'll figure that out later. Um, the, second, the second bundle of conditions that produce happiness is the 40% bundle, your actions and thoughts. Mm, mm, mm. Well, let me point out myself. When Kathy and I were going over all of this, um, I started thinking back on my life, thinking about myself, and I had to admit after I considered it that every time I've ever become unhappy, and there were times when I've become very unhappy, um, even times where that unhappiness lasted for days and, it, and would, would, would uh, become prolonged. But every time I've ever fallen really into unhappiness in my life, I have to admit it was because I let something come between the Lord and me. That is the bottom line. That is the bottom line. As I was chasing Kathy from the living room to the bedroom saying, wait, you don't understand. Let me explain. The reality was I wasn't trying to make her happy. I was trying to make me happy. And anybody who's ever been in that situation knows the selfishness that motivates those kinds of behaviors and actions. So <clears throat> I realized that every time I've ever been unhappy in life, it's because I let something come between the Lord and me. I gave something power over my self-control. And the minute that I did, Satan began to exploit my happiness. 
whether it was relationships or trials or desires or whatever circumstances of life, it works that way. And I want to say to you and just encourage you this morning that God never lets anything separate him from us. Let me say that again. God never lets anything separate him from us. But when we let things separate our actions and thoughts from him, it costs us our happiness. So your actions and your thoughts are yours. They are yours. You own them. And if you have a problem with control, and by the way, I'm not one of these people who believes that everybody could just control their actions. It's the hardest thing a lot of people will ever do in their life to get a particular thought pattern and bring it into the light of truth and get it changed so that it starts operating the right way. To take patterns in life that have been destructive and bend them around takes discipline. And I'm not going to tell you this morning that, that we can have an altar call today and you can come up here and I can lay hands on you in the name of Jesus and speak in tongues over you and anoint you with oil and all of a sudden that pattern's going to be straightened out. And I believe in miracles, and, but I just know that's not the process that God normally runs life with. We learn. That's why it said in Proverbs, get wisdom. If you get wisdom, wisdom will promote you and make you happy. Well, you don't just go get an inoculation and poof, I'm wise. You know, that wisdom comes from somewhere. Um, by the way, uh, there's a great, if you ever, if anyone's ever raised horses, trained horses or whatever, and um, you have a horse that won't go into the, won't go into the horse carrier, those covered horses. Horses don't naturally love to go into that dark space. And you have to train them. You can't get a blackboard out and chalk and teach the horse. You can't show them the trailer, explain to them it's going to be okay, don't be worried, everything's going to work out. You can't take children all the time and just teach them. Sometimes you have to train them, which means you have to make them do what they need to do. And that wonderful balance between teaching and training is what you and I need to use on ourselves. So you need to look at yourself and say, where is the teaching not working in my life? Where do I need to bear down on myself with a little discipline? Because I'm never going to stop just listening to sermons about this and actually put it to work in my life until I get a hold of myself with some discipline and deal with these issues and manhandle myself a little bit with the help of the Holy Spirit, of course. Um, so you understand actions and thoughts, 40%. Psalm 1, and we're coming down near the end of this. Y'all are familiar with it, but listen to it in the context. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scornful. But his delight is in the law, the gospel of, of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate both day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers. Now you're talking about happiness. He's describing a life that's happy. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water 
that brings forth his fruit. He flourishes in his season. His leaf isn't withering, and whatsoever he does prospers. The man or the woman of Psalm chapter, uh, the first Psalm, is a person who's happy, but they are happy because they have separated themselves from certain conditions. They don't sit around with the scornful. They don't listen to the sinners. They don't run around and fill their life with foolishness and then expect that they are going to behave wisely. So you have to manage your life if you want that definition to work for you. If you want self-control, you need to put the elements in your life that are going to produce self-control. I wish I were talking to a bunch of teenagers right now because I would say be, over the next number of years, as you make decisions about who you want to marry, look hard and long and pray for guidance and wisdom. Don't marry the person that appeals to the shallow things in your life, that says all the things that push all the right buttons, that makes you feel a certain way. All of those things are nothing more than camouflage for a miserable life. If you marry somebody who is not going to be a yoke fellow, a fellow yoke person, and work with you through life. And that's why a lot of marriages, even though maybe like Kathy's and mine, have got invested 40 plus, 47 years plus, but they're living in two different worlds. They act, they're staying together because of the economy of their relationship. But everything's gone because they will not work together. And so I would tell the teenagers, learn what happiness is and begin to build that principle into your life and then find someone who's doing the same. Kathy and I were fortunate enough that in our life we worked and hammered this thing out. And I was going to tell you why our marriage was not going to be one that ended in divorce, although we thought about murder a time or two. But um, I knew we would never divorce because we're just both stubborn and we're not quitters, number one. And number two, neither one of us is the quiet, silent sufferer. Neither one of us are silent about our sufferings. So we were going to hammer this out until we got there. And of course, we eventually learned, go to God. You go to your room, I'll go to, to, to my room. Or you go to your room, I'll go to the backyard where I've been assigned my, my quarters for the time being. And um, I'm going to talk to God. I'm going to let the Lord talk to me. And you know, the first thing the Lord does is he straightens you out. He deals with you. He says, you know, you're angry because he said that. You're angry because she did that. But he or she could not show you your faults because you wouldn't receive it. But you know me. I'm your heavenly father. You know that I love you. Let me show you. And he proceeds to show you the exact same thing your spouse was trying to talk to you about, maybe in a different way. So everything the Psalm 1 person does prospers because they've taken the time to discipline themselves and stay away from the sinners, the scoffers, and learn how to meditate in the Word of God and put it to work in their life. Let me bring it, us to that last little 10%, because that bugged me, 10%. I want 100% control over my own happiness. But there's that 10% that just exceeds my reach. It's out beyond my grasp. It's called 
external circumstances. I can't control what you say to me or do to me or what happens to me out there in life. I don't know if the, if the stock market sucked me in with this tremendous bull market and I decided, you know what, doggone it, I'm going to take that money out of savings I'm going to put it in that mutual fund. I'm going to invest it only to blow me up like they did back in 2008. And I'm going to lose 40% of my stock values. Darn it. And so we can't control those things. My gosh, if we could. But you know a lot of those guys that are pretty smart and can almost control them aren't very happy. So even controlling your circumstances won't make you happy until you learn to control yourself. So external circumstances, yes, it's true. Happiness is a state of covenant with God. That's where you and I have got to go to be happy. It's not a covenant with the world. You are not in covenant with the world. There is no expectation out there, no matter how much the socialists want to re- structure our society, no matter who wants to experiment with what form of government or what form of uh, social uh, model we are going to put ourselves in or yield ourselves to, the reality is there is no structure that can make you happy. Happiness is a choice between you and God. And you have to decide that you're going to be happy. So you are not in covenant with the world. You are in covenant with God. But because God owns the world, he's, it's wonderful to have somebody in a high place that can help out with some of those circumstances. How many of you would raise your hand and say, you know what, I have experienced a miracle breakthrough at some point in my life when um, the world had done me wrong, things were going bad, and I asked God and I sought the Lord, and he stepped in and he changed the circumstances for my favor. Who has not experienced something like that? So where's your happiness come from? Praise the Lord. Peter says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if some strange thing were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it, was, when it is revealed to all the world. So be happy when you are insulted for being a Christian, for then the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble. Check out this last one. Prying into other people's business. Ooh, I'm going to come back to that. If you suffer, however, see, if you suffer as a Christian, then happy are you for the Spirit of God, the anointing of God is upon you in a limitless supply. You can expect to be nurtured and upheld by the Spirit. But do not find yourself suffering um, for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by His name. 
Isn't that awesome? I did, I did think it was instructive that prying into other people's business made it in the list with murdering and stealing. I thought, you know, that keeps bad company sticking your nose, behaving in other people's eyes where you don't belong. And uh, so wisdom will steer you away from all of that. Wisdom will make sure that you walk in a way that you're always in control in your relationship with the Lord. And if, like we sang that song, and if you should fall again, what is grace? It is that wonderful do-over. It has that ability to get up and keep on going. And if we owe anything to God, when we miss it and when we fall on our face, it's honesty. Lord, I did it again. And the Lord is there to, well, are you ready to get up and go at it and try again? I certainly am. Absolutely. So grace is not permission to stay the same, but power to become better. Praise God. The pursuit of happiness, I'll close with our definition. Knowing that I can control myself under any condition and ask the Lord for help, and he will answer. Wow, I want that in my life, don't you? Praise the Lord. Stand with me this morning.